the Good Pals Podcast with Matt Stock and Zach Stevens. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode three of the Good Pals Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stock. It's a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and I'm in the lab on Lagoon with my co-host, my producer, and my good pal, Mr. Zach Stevens. Stevens. Hi. How you doing, Matty? I'm doing great, Stevens. I'm excited. Today's um, this is a new project, so there's going to be a lot of firsts. Yeah, and we have an awesome special guest today. Yeah, our first guest ever, uh, to the point where we even name dropped her in the first episode of the podcast. If we were going to have someone come on, this would be the person that I would want it to be first, and for multiple appearances, and I wouldn't care if she was on every fucking episode, to be honest with you. It would immediate, be great. immediate dream guest. Yeah, but she's um, a, a brilliant, uh, talented, she's a performer, um, she's a podcaster in her own right, and she is definitely a popular culture enthusiast. Most importantly, she's our pal. And her name is Sarah Joey Clemens. Sarah. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Really exciting to have you here. And um, this is something that we've like talked about doing before. And we even just had a nice little warm up. Would you call me a manic pixie dream guest? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Perfect. Definitely. You fit the mold. You fit the mold. And um, what we have in common is, you know, our enthusiasm for, for these things, film, television, and music, um, we all we cover we cover all these things, and we all just happen to enjoy a particular film that came out a couple months ago. Definitely, that uh, I thought for me was the most fun that I had at the movies this year. But I think the movie was either misread, misunderstood, or flat out not even seen by the public. And this movie is called The Menu. And. I don't know why people have a hard time classifying this film. I think you and I would agree it's a black comedy. The darkest of all dark comedies, yes. perhaps. Yeah, very a very dark comedy. And um, if it's, if you're gonna have you want to have a if you want to have a good sinister lead for a dark comedy, who better to get than Zach's favorite actor? <laughs> Who's that, Zachy boy? Uh, Ray Fiennes, the man himself. Ray Fiennes, who really is great, and the menu is no exception. Now. We talked about this. You saw this in the theater. I did. Actually, if I'm if I'm going to admit some hard truths today, okay. I saw it in the theater because you said that it was good. Yeah, thank you. So I think I went to see as it in the a, theater. As do a lot of people on this island go see movies because Matt said right. they were good. Tastemaker. <laughs> you and I are simpatico. Usually on th- we, we tend to like the same things. You know? For sure. But that's not the only reason that you know I'm having you on because we agree on all the same stuff, but... You've not seen Babylon, have you? I have not. And you know why the menu appealed to me? Because when I looked it up, an hour and 47 minutes. An hour and 47 minutes. Uh. Half the length. Of, you know, yeah. The girl, like, your girl is here for a sub two hour movie. Yeah. And I look, think if you if you take the credits out, I mean, you're looking at just a hair over at 90 minutes and you're out and you're on your way home. You know, what did we say last week, Maddie, on the episode? We said long movie doesn't mean good movie. No. And not- some sometimes it does, but. Not in every, not this year. <laughs> and then something like uh, the, the menu moves along very nicely and very wickedly. There's no fat to be trimmed. Um, it's like it's a fun little ride. And it just started. So they, they they did this is I like that studios are doing this. It's a fast it's a fast window from theatrical to streaming. So this thing's this is still playing at Northridge as far as I know on one of the screens. Like for example, but it also just started streaming on HBO Max. And that's why we're talking about it today, because HBO Max has a lot of subscribers, you know, because people love that Game of Thrones. They want to see that White Lotus. They want to know what's going on. They like that sexiness. So 
it's something that people I know have a lot of access to. So the gold standard of the modern like TV show. And four hundred thousand hours worth of Zack Snyder on HBO Max. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Martin Lesh. Man, it's uh yeah, the, they they've got the everything that the DC universe has to offer. If you just finish make of uh, that what you make of that what you will. Yeah, if you want to put yourself through that. If you just finished a uh, three hour long jazz show and just made a hot pot with Szechuan sauce and you want to watch Birds of Prey, <laughs> then you're Martin Lesh. I think I had, I had a nightmare. I was at like the I was at the the comic book film festival in hell, and it was a triple feature of uh, Joker, Birds of Prey, and Batman and Robin. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking my friend and I like to watch spooky movies um, in October, and last year we watched. Is it called uh, Army of the Dead? The Dave Batista. Zach yeah, the Snyder? one based yeah. in Vegas. Um, yeah, that actually was enjoyable, but it's also—I mean, wasn't it, it a doesn't remake? Take Am I crazy? Too seriously. No, which it, was is nice. it was. That was like an off-the-chain, like crazy. Well, it was in Vegas. It was like zombies in Vegas, so everything was amplified and zombie tiger. Zombie tiger was the big yes. thing that that year. Yeah. It's basically if zombies became a higher form than what they usually are in a movie, mm-hmm. this is what they would be. Like uh, if there was a zombie hierarchy. I think if I recall correctly, there was some zombie boning going on yes. in that movie too. Yeah. Whoa. And that's all part of evolving, right? All part of growing. Ooh. That's a nice vision there of the uh of the zombie tiger that Zach just brought up on the control console here. Leo's getting so. nervous. Snyder's all over HBO Max. Army of the Dead was cool. And we talked about Batista last week too. This guy is making moves. How yeah. good is he? Everything. He's in everything. He's not in the menu though. Who is in the menu? Who are we dealing with as our leads? Good, um, well, once again, semi-ensemble cast, a lot of familiar faces, good character actors. In the case, like the literal character actor, like you see them, what do I know them from? Right. Uh, so we talked about Fines, uh, you know, as the lead here is Chef Slowick, a uh, very mysterious, rather sinister. Intense. Yeah, intense chef with far more deep intentions in serving people some dinner. Uh, in this case, in the menu... He is hosting an exclusive meal at a destination restaurant. What's the deal with what's the deal with Hawthorne, Sarah Joey? So it's on a private island, which if I were to give any plug for people to see this, obviously if you like something pretty suspenseful without giving away too much, this is a good movie for that. But also it features uh, we'll say the low country, even yeah. though technically in Georgia, I don't think it's, it's a the Jek- low country. A lot of the beach scenes were uh, shot on Jekyll Island, and then um, yeah, I believe some of it's Islands. in Tybee as well. So, right. I mean, that's it's not it that far away. It looks pretty darn close to our lovely. It's I don't know how it didn't Hilton register with me when I saw it in the theater because they shoot on the Driftwood Beach. They shot the Driftwood Beach at Jekyll, where I just went recently for the first time. I did a little solo photo shoot there, including right. so a moon, lo- including a camera mooning. Lots of beautiful private <laughs> islands uh, to be accessed off the coast of South Carolina and Georgia. And the Hawthorne is, as you said, an exclusive restaurant on one of those. And I, I recently read uh, The Show Writer. It's somewhere in here in the facts, but I'll just... The succession crew is deeply tied into this. Yeah. the deeply tied into this movie. Yeah, the Rob... And the director as well. I was freaking out the whole time that we were watching this for your second screening. I was like, Rob Yang, where's he from? Where's he from? And I and I realized, oh, he's the guy in season one of Succession. But the uh, the show, the, guy, the writer for this movie, he got the idea for this movie because him and his wife went on a trip to Denmark and went out to a very lux- like a nice luxury dinner on an island. And he was like, oh, shit, we're not leaving here until dinner's done. Yeah. So it kind of like resonated with him, and that's uh, where the whole idea came from. 
And well, what you have here is uh, it's a, it's a, a deeply satirical movie, and you know based on the Ray Fiennes character and his staff, uh, there's some lampooning of uh, celebrity chef culture, foodie culture. But there's a whole lot of other layers that get brought in, and it's done so cleverly because you have a group of diners that are coming over on this boat to eat this mysterious exclusive dinner at Hawthorne. But they say, I think they said it was like $14,000 a plate right. or something like that, some absurd number. But on this boat, uh, you have our, uh, our lead um, protagonist, Anya Taylor-Joy, with a very obnoxious date. Uh, played by, what's this British fellow's name? Oh, uh, Nicholas, Nicholas Holt. Holt. Yeah. Nicholas Holt, who's been in a lot of great stuff. He's a total like uh, chef sycophant, Mr. Know-it-all um, about food. You have one in your group of friends when you're sitting, you know, eating the most delicious meal that you've had at a restaurant, and some asshole at the table is like, well, I think the <laughs> mouthfeel of this, and the mouthfeel literally becomes an issue oh, the, when he mentions it. The, wine the wraparound joke, uh, without giving too much away, of the Paco jet yes, that he references <laughs> almost immediately yeah. to try to desperately jet? impress yeah. the he, chef. He really wants to seem like he knows what he's talking about. So he's like, a, that's like a foodie person that's getting lampooned. Three finance bros, Ooh. super obnoxious guys, an actor, um, a snobby rich couple. Yes. So older. all these character archetypes, subsets of culture that are always ripe for lampooning. Oh, and don't forget about Janet McAteer, the food critic. Oh, I love Janet McAteer. Um, you guys probably saw her most recently as the mob attorney in Ozark. But she's got a really good, um, she's got a really good um, cinematic pedigree as well. Very talented actress. Uh, she plays a food critic, and everyone has their own thoughts on critics. I'm a critic myself, but there is a level of pretension and entitlement that comes along with that. These people are congregated for a meal that they will not soon forget at any point in time. So no one is safe. Everyone is getting lampooned and have done so in a really sharp fashion. Well, tight, well written script here, comedically. Yes, hence being sub two hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They got to you know keep keep a ribbon on it, but what's eventually comes to pass, and we talked about you know it's it's, it's somewhat difficult to discuss this in a spoiler free fashion, but we're gonna go through some basics of it, and um, it's a very uh, I don't want to say antiseptic. The restaurant is very clean, very quiet. Uh, not not um not in a flashy way, but obviously, it's uh, somewhat ominous. Yes, would you very say? Ominous. Yeah, it's very ominous. I would say immediately from the jump when they get to the island and they're kind of uh, escorted, it's all it's immediately ominous. There's nothing welcoming welcoming about this dinner or the the you know the dinner party. It's very it's very odd from the jump. And the first uh, one of the first red flags that we see is Anya Taylor Joy's character is a last-minute date substitution for Nicholas Holt's character, mm -hmm. Tyler, and that seems to send some ripples through the staff of the uh, restaurant. Let's talk about Chef Slowick's staff, particularly his right hand. Who's that, Stevens? That's Elsa, played by Hong Chow. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, Hong. How uh, awesome is Hong Chow in this movie? She was great. Yes. I fucking terrifying. Loved yes, that scary. character. I for sure love that character. Almost, almost as scary as Fonz. Right. I mean, I think uh, quite a bit of Stockholm syndrome comes into play sure. during the movie. Sure. Among the staff, he's got a very dedicated staff. Hung Xiao at the top is a no nonsense, to say the least, gal. I don't want to oversimplify it. The right hand man of a villain is probably you, probably scarier than the villain because they're eating all the shit and doing all the dirty work, right? Sure. Like this is true. And Hung has no problem doing any of that. She's got lots of ominous overtures towards guests. She's very uh, 
all business. She doesn't take any bullshit from anybody. And the the rest of the the chef staff here, there's a sous chef and then a whole staff of cooks. And they are sort of nameless and faceless with the exception of, of one character. And this is sort of about people having complete blind faith to their superior, to their chef. And I think that's a toxic element. All of us have been around or in the restaurant industry at one point or another. And I think we've worked with some chefs that are, that I mean, are good guys. And we've worked with some chefs that are bad guys. Of course. I think typically the kind of environment of a restaurant definitely always comes from the top. It doesn't matter if you're in fine dining or you work at a pizza place, for example. Yeah, yeah no, sure. For, for real. Yeah. That kind of sets the tone for the restaurant, certainly, or bar. They st- they stay in these uh, in these very draconian <laughs> barracks, and you know, and um, you know, she goes through their, their their daily schedule. Which, when you take out all the meal preparation and all the things they do, and all the gathering and the prepare, it leaves them four hours of sleep a night on hard little cots that are all in a, right. all in a barracks. Really Spartan situation. They are completely 100% dedicated. It's it's kind of like the part in Elf where they ask Will Ferrell how he slept, and he said, great, I got a full 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. you, you're expected to just be happy with what you have because of you know what you get to take part in. So It's a, it's a tight fucking ship under a chef Slovak. Slovak. How do you say it, Maddie? Slovak. Slovak. Okay. I think I've, I heard it pronounced both ways in the movie. but um, That's interesting. Have you kind of thought about how he doesn't really have any sort of defined, like, I guess, ethnicity of any sort. He right. talks about, in throughout the movie, being from several places. Yeah. <laughs> he mentions several birthplaces, several places where he grew up. So uh, yeah, well, he's it's got kind of a question mark, for <laughs> and, sure. Yes. One of the funniest things, I think, is that amongst all these other guests is a woman, an older woman, who is allegedly his mother. That is deeply unsettling. <laughs> really that weird, part. right? Really weird. This old gal just sort of sits in the corner and just blasts glasses of wine and sort of makes gestures and like waves her hand at people. And um, it's strange. Uh, we don't even ever really find out that Isra is not his mother. It's light spoiler territory, but it's not really essential to the plot. The plot, in this case, is this exclusive meal, a tasting meal, several courses, that Sloak comes out and with a loud clap, every time there's a loud clap in oh, this yeah. movie, the first time it sort of catches you off guard, but then every other clap going through right. the remainder of the film, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's very it's, ominous. It's very hereditary esque. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, like, this is yeah. symbolic, <laughs> and I need to pay attention to whatever's going to be coming after this for sure. This has a little bit of a this. I think this does have a little bit of an A24 vibe to it. Mm. This movie just maybe slightly more polished and less. Uh, shocking or disturbing than if it was in A24's hands. I don't even want to fucking know what it would have been like. But oh, man. the clap signifies the beginning of a new course. And we kind of talked about how quiet the film is. And yes. that's if I were to pick one one kind of piece of sound that stands out to me the most in the menu, it is that clap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was it just gets more intense as it oh, goes Oh, the first along. one caught me off guard. And he's he's clapping on the poster like it's a uh, it's 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 the heartbeat of the film in, in, a, in a sense of like. When that clap comes, shit's about to hit the fan again, you know? It also, it's also probably somewhat of a kind of um, Pavlov's cat. Cat or yeah, dog? Yeah, Pavlov's dog. <laughs> yeah, Pavlov's yeah. The, 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 when the bell Situation, rings, they sal- right? salivate. Whenever yeah, they might, Whenever they might kind of have a sense of individuality at all, that clap brings them right back to 
the kitchen. That's interesting, and that's also very true. I like that. Also, that's a good insight. another fun fact I was reading earlier, uh, Dominique Crin, she's the one who designed the foods for the movie. I believe she's the first female European woman to have like three or four Michelin stars. Oh, so uh, she wonderful. came she came on board to work for the movie, and apparently one of the problems with some of the actors in the movies was when they were setting up, getting ready to shoot, some of the actors and actresses wanted to eat the food because of how delicious it looked. And they were like, please don't touch, please don't touch. <laughs> there were co- certainly continuity some things yeah. that were very appealing. The, f- the, f- the first, you know, the first couple dishes as we go through it, one of the real treats of this film, although all the, all the dishes are shot uh, very beautifully and captioned as the dishes go along with, you know, the, the name mm-hmm. of the dish and the ingredients. And as these, as these meals become more dark and twisted, so do the descriptions of the meals. But they're all beautiful. And some are very funny. I think this is one. This is one of the first courses. I believe it's the second course. And it's the breadless bread. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which and is Nicholas when you realize Holt's character when you, yeah. just taking it hook, line, and sinker. Well, this is when you realize it up. <laughs> this this chef holds all these people in contempt. Well, let's group. introduce the uh, the date that uh, Margot Anya Taylor Joy's character came with, played by Nicholas Holt. I mean, he's his name's Tyler, and he's a real piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which mean. Nicholas Holt in general has really perfected. Playing a real piece of shit in a lot of things. Does he have a lot of does he have a lot of asshole roles? Oh man. If you haven't seen The Great on Hulu about Catherine the Great, it's kind of a comedic retelling of that. I've he never is heard of that. pitch perfect in that movie as well. Hey, was or he movie in, series, sorry. Was he in that was he in that period movie with Rachel Weiss and Oh god damn. He was also Beast in X Men. He was Beast in X Men and he was in yeah. Mad Max Fury Road. But also, I first came to know him in the British show Skins, which I liked, like in college. Skins was like the kid, the the controversy, like the kids, you know, sex show, like yeah. a, a maybe a Euphoria esque kind yeah. of thing. But uh, Canadians I didn't know and British people did it before Americans did. This so. is usually the case. Yes, it comes to us eventually down the line. But Holt is one of these characters that um, he's these. The first dish seems normal. It's like a scallop dish. And it's, Fine, and everyone's talking about it. Then the next thing is a breadless bread dish, which is a bunch of sauces, <laughs> little sauce, but plate with little sauces for bread to be dipped in, but no bread. And as the right hand gal says to the the finance bros that are demanding bread, she's like, "You'll eat what you deserve. You'll eat what you get, and it's more than you deserve." Uh, creepy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and no uh, bread whatsoever. Just five little drops of sauce on a plate. <laughs> well, chef's idea is that a uh, bread is a poor poor man's food and not not fit for the people that are attending this dinner correct you yes know? he says with no trace of irony or sarcasm <laughs> uh with ray fines in this is delivery uh we're going to talk about more of his performances later in the podcast um this is a very it's so dry and he and he doesn't ever have to escalate into some sort of manic you know uh, menacing energy i'm a huge huge fan of nonverbal acting and his facial expressions in this thing, even the most small, subtle ones, like pull it, pull like big laughs out of me. But I think, like as we mentioned earlier, I was one of the only people laughing in the movie theater when I saw this. Same, same, same experience. Not that there were a whole lot of people there. There was maybe fifteen people in the theater, but they were not digging it as much as myself and my friend were. And it's a shame that it misses the point because this is a very funny movie. But it is ominous, and it is a little scary. So, how do you strike the balance, Sarah Joey? Like we all know. The chef has a problem with all these people, and they got it coming. Something's coming to him. 
Uh, Do you sympathize with any characters in this movie or no? Uh, I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy comes in. Her yeah. role is as the skeptic, and I'm not giving anything away with that because no. she portrays that immediately upon getting on the boat and kind of rolling her eyes at everything Nicholas Holt's character well, says. He tells Tyler, don't ever say mouthfeel again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to, op- to open the movie, I mean, she's smoking a cigarette and getting harped on by her date that the cigarette will ruin your palate. Right, uh, yeah. So he's clearly like an over-the-top foodie, and she's like, are we really taking this shit that serious? And just going down this quote list, I'm, I'm dying, like, laughing over here. At one point, Tyler says to her, you don't think Chef is mad at me, do you? Right. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and I mean, oh. There's a bit of insidious toxicity in Tyler, which makes him, like, one of the people that you really strongly dislike in this movie. He clearly holds Margot in very low regard for reasons that are explained as the film right. goes, goes along. But he's a real shit. At one point, he refers to her as a child. And I think based on the quote that you just shared with us, Zach, there's an obvious irony to that because he is really beholden to every word that Chef Slowick shares. Yeah. Yeah. He's a disciple to to this chef. I mean, he is something unhinged there with Mr. Tyler. But. Yeah, this, it, it becomes more unhinged as it goes along, and it also some things come to light that he may know Chef a little bit better than we thought that he did. Um, but he is on Chef's shit list, uh, as well as all these people. And this is where a lot of it comes into the service industry. The axes that this chef has to grind with these people are not... The skills aren't balanced. What happens to these people... They don't really deserve based on why Chef is mad at them. But for people that are in the service industry... They'll understand these quirks, you know, like uh, you uh, ruined one of my days off or you've eaten here so many times. I bet you can't even remember a dish that you had or a single name of someone that served you. And uh, when you're in this industry, I still am uh, to an extent, you know, as a bartender, at least. But I've worked at many restaurants and managed restaurants. And um, you do. There's a repetition and a nameless and faceless feeling that can come in. And it could be somewhat demeaning or uh, soul deadening, maybe. Right. It's easy to lose your humanity in a fine dining space, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Zach, I think you even maybe did a little bit of, before you became a rock star the here on Hillhead. You did a little Christ. bit. Of, you did a little bit of restaurant work. Um, yeah, I worked a casu- like casual fine dining, more like upscale dining, um, for quite a while. And to be honest, it, I loved it. And I know maybe I didn't do it long enough to hate it, but it was an awesome time in my life because I got to for the for the first time meet people out of my inner circle and meet real fucking adults in the real world and realize that everyone, you're not the only person with problems and everyone's fucking crazy. And it's a, that I think it's when you start to appreciate just different personality types, you know, working in a restaurant. It's also kind of performative to a certain extent, you know, like you get to go in and snap it on. Oh, yeah. I, and then I feel when like you I, leave, snap it off. Well, These see, I, people don't. But. I was a server's <laughs> assistant, which in layman's terms is I was everyone's bitch. And, I felt like, you know, my like shield was like working out comedy, but some nights with some of these servers, I really took a liking to a lot of these people because especially the ones that would laugh with me or tell me shit that would make me laugh. There's one guy in particular, he won't mind me shouting him out, this uh, older guy named uh, Josh and uh, just one of the funniest dudes I ever met. He was like a really like sassy, but like well-versed older gay guy that just cracked me up all the time when we were working because I think he had the same outlook on uh, the the clientele and the people eating there and even I just think I know Josh 
Yeah, I know a couple people that worked at that restaurant. It was a good restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it it wasn't a situation where you came to pick up an empty plate and they said something like, "Oh, I hated it," and expected you to laugh on cue. No, yeah, that happens quite a bit. But what what really would blow my mind is if I would go to grab an empty plate and. Um, you know, someone's wife was still working or something like that, or vice versa. I grabbed a husband's plate and any, and, and that's something that irked them. You know, it's like, it's like these people, like I, I every table you know? has a different philosophy on when the plates are to be exactly. taken from the table. It's, it's, it's something, and even though you can watch it, piles of these disgusting plates mm-hmm. pile up, but if grandma still has a couple of shrimp left in her salad, you can't take any, any plates away. And Sarah, Joey, how about, I hated it is the first most annoying thing that customers say. Second is, when you ask them if you can get them anything, you have the winning lottery numbers? Right. A million dollars would be nice. So all these people, these chefs, there's not really servers in this movie so much, but everywhere I've worked and you go through this stuff and you know there's camaraderie amongst the team. That's always something you can fall back on if you're in a cool situation where everyone kind of gets along. You know, we're all in this together. Revenge fantasies. You know, like, oh, I should do this or I should do that or, oh, I'd like to do this or... Man, if they give me a big tip, I'll follow them right out in the fucking parking lot and give them their $2 back. All things that get you fired, of course. But we talk about that shit. You know, that stuff happens. Uh, this is revenge. These people these people have all, you know, wrong chef and him and his team exact slow burn revenge on them through the movie to just really escalates into the absurd. Well, and, and like, um, like a musician, like a director, like a writer the chef in this movie feels like an artist feels like he's lived a life of artistry. And I think the years have kind of taken the passion from the game. Oh, 100%. And, um, I think, you know, these examples of people that we've dealt with in our life and F and B, I think have kind of driven him to this point of madness. <laughs> and it's kind of fun to watch. And there's only one character who sees through it all. Yeah. Who is herself in the service industry. True. To an extent. So it says he says to her, are you one of them or are you one of us? And she has a decision to make. I mean, it seems like she already had her decision made at the beginning of the movie, but yeah. she also could feel something sinister at foot. So she wasn't truly sure how to respond. I mean, she's on her own team. Ultimately, she's on her own she's team. But she's, she's probably one of the first person to start saying, like, uh, there's something fucked up is going on here. Like, am I the only person that doesn't think this is fucked up? And then by the time everyone realizes that it's, you know, that things are going in a bad direction, it's just too late. And the the film goes into madness. And I think some people, I think the problem is, I think some people looked at this as a straight horror film. Absolutely not. I laughed harder than I... Exactly. It's meant to be funny. And I think, and and I don't think you have to be part of the service industry or you have to be a foodie or you have to be any of these, like, related to these archetype, character archetypes to enjoy the film. If you take it for what it is, which is just fun. And there's nothing really even like there's something minorly graphic about it. A couple things. But I don't think there's there's not gore in that sense. It's no. Just, it's all psychological yeah. for the most part. Yeah. It's, it's unsettling, but it's not. Yeah. It's you know, the waiting game between courses. I mean, they almost like timed the I mean, we've we've already hit this, but it, I mean, they timed the, the suspense with the meals. You know, it's it's like. I don't you, you know when it's coming. I guess what we're saying is for an R-rated film, it doesn't have much of graphic violence in it. And, you know, if you want to let your kids watch it, I'd say as long as they're, you know, four or five or six-ish or so <laughs> and up. You know, they hear you say fuck around the house all the time anyway. So, sure, just pop the menu on. Yeah, just, Put it, Pop the yeah. menu on the iPad and just go about your day and 
Let the kids enjoy a little uh, black comedy about the food and beverage industry. Just let them know it's Tom Riddle playing the chef, and they'll love it. Tom Riddle. <laughs> yeah. That's one name that we can say. There's another name that we can't say. But Tom Riddle is one of Ray Fonz's legendary film roles. Why don't we talk about some Ray Fonz stuff? Is there anything else we want to touch on in the menu before we start talking about Mr. Fonz? I think, you know, I think we can start to get into spoiler territory if we say a lot right. more. Other I just than like to, to reiterate, say, definitely go see it, if not for anything else, because it's a creepy movie set in kind of your backyard. Yeah, it is. It's definitely low country, and I can't believe I missed that on my first viewing. But it was very clear when I saw it. Uh, streaming on HBO Max, also still out in some theaters. If you're a theater person, like I always say, go buy some movie tickets. Let's keep the let's keep the, the theater business going. But also streaming on HBO Max. Borrow a password from a homie if you wish to. It's the menu with Ray Fines and Anya Taylor Joy and a really nice cast of uh, talented actors. Check it out. Speaking of Ray Fines, it seemed like an honest with Zach being a huge fan of his. Um, and myself as well. Yeah. We want to talk about some of his Hall of Fame performances. I mean, first off, you have to mention Schindler's list, I think. Right? Schindler's List, 1994, um, Steven Spielberg's Holocaust drama. Uh, I, I'm not certain. Zach, I'm sure, will bring this up for us right now. But I believe Ray Fiennes won an award for this. I think he did. I believe, and it's I, also I believe he won Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting played, Actor. Uh, played, uh, so here's a, here's a fun fact about me. is For years and years and years and years and years, probably until my mid-20s, I regularly could not remember which one was which between Liam Neeson and Ray Fiennes. <laughs> and so <laughs> really watching that movie for the first time. I bet there's some I mean, filmgoers that still have that problem. As far yeah. as, it was as a far real as struggle like, for me. As far as polarizing actors go, to put both of them in the same movie, he's like, what the fuck? Right. This is early in Fiennes's... He was actually uh, nominated that in his, year. In, in his film career, early in the running for him. And I, I, I'm going to assume he had theatrical training. I imagine he was probably a stage actor before he got into film. But um, I mean, Schindler's I would List. argue that that the role in Schindler's List is not unlike the role in the menu. Yes, there are parallels for sure. But there's, there's a very cold well, clinical intensity. You could draw, yes. you could draw the parallels of Ray Fiennes playing a real fucked up asshole in his entire career. Correct. We <laughs> did know? discuss that over brunch today. Schindler's was a deeply, deeply unsettling. Well, he, was a deeply unsettling one. As far as Academy Awards go, though, Matty, he uh, was nominated for Schindler's List, but did not win that year. Um, I would love to know who won Best Supporting. Now that we're looking at it, he's um, robbed on that one. Tommy Lee Jones won for The Fugitive. Oh, I love The Fugitive, though. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, literally his breakout role that year in 94 in What's, What's Eating, Eating Gilbert, Gilbert Grape. Grape. Gilbert Grape. <gasps> wow, what a big year. I mean, I wouldn't call it a highway robbery, but... Was that 94? No, it was 94. That was like 90 or 91? This is 94. Is that the Forrest Gump year? Pulp Fiction, all that stuff? Or that's the year after? Yeah, this is the year of um, Schindler's List, The Fugitive, uh, The Piano. It was Spielberg's big year, I mean. Well, what it does is it starts getting Ray Fiennes lots of jobs and by and large um, tends to fall on the bad guy side mm -hmm. of things than the good guy side. Uh, a movie I really like him in is Red Dragon, which was a prequel to The Silence of the Lambs that Brett Ratner directed with a super all-star cast, Ed Norton, Anthony Hopkins mm -hmm. returning as uh, Hannibal Lecter and um, Ray Fiennes as the main villain of the movie, a serial killer. Known as the Tooth Fairy. Ugh. His name is Francis Stollerhide. Known as the Tooth Fairy, a.k.a., as he calls himself, 
The Red Dragon. Uh, second cinematic version of this story. First one was a film called Manhunter in 1986, directed by Michael Mann, where Tom Noonan, great character actor, played uh, the Tooth Fairy. And Zach, do you know who was the first cinematic Hannibal Lecter in uh, in Manhunter? Uh, wasn't Hopkins, right? No, it wasn't. Oh, gosh, no, I have no idea who it was. It was Brian Cox. Oh, yeah. No, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of succession. Our of succession su- king. Of succession fame. Uh, now really? that I've already diverted off the topic, I might as well go further and say, are we fucking ready for succession? I can't fucking wait. Season three, there's going to be weekly. I hope you guys, I hope we have some su- succession heads out there because it will be a weekly segment once it premieres, I think, at the beginning of next month. We'll be doing a series, we'll be doing a recap, probably like 10 minutes or so. Yeah, you see, that's, that's that was a long time ago. So Ugh, he's a younger man back. I don't there. even like to see him like this. Yeah. So, what do you think the secret breadless sauce of Ray Fiennes always being a villain predominantly is? If you were to, I I'm gonna say what I'm gonna share what I think it is. What is it? I, I think that there is. Uh, well, will you do yours, and I'll tell you what mine. Is. I, I I have one as well. I was gonna say quickly, just there's a, there's very few actors that can give you an entire scene with their face. And their yes. eyes, and and right. really blow you away with a scene of just facial, you know, emotion. And and how fucking amazing is Ray finds at that? And when you're evil and you're a villain like that, and you can convey evilness like just in a, you know, in a physical way, when you have that, like, just carry that upon you. Like he's just the king of that. I mean, Voldemort and sure. a Nazi Gestapo, like, uh, like he's quiet, now, quiet menace. It's right? not as much of a smile as a sneer. Exactly. He yeah. smiles. I think <laughs> one casting director saw that and was like, nope, <laughs> never going to be a good guy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. In Red Dragon, the character has a cleft palate. But when he opens his eyes bigger, it's probably a combination of the brow and the smile because the eyes don't open very wide a lot of the time. So that in and of itself. But also he has like this, that like really live form too. Yeah, he's like a real. He's re- he's very fit in Red Dragon. Right, like that scene where shows he shows off yeah. that back tat. Yes, he, yeah, he's, <laughs> and he eats a painting Ugh. of the Red Dragon to to complete his transformation. Uh, really, I think the serial killer genre is uh, played out. I think there's way too many serial killer films, but man, when they're good, when a serial killer film is good, they're really fucking good. We're gonna you know let. What's good our- about this one too is it's based on a true story, but it's not like in the true crime genre, really. Yeah. For the most part. Which Red Dragon is? Yeah. Right. yeah. The I Tooth Fairy was based on a, on a somewhat well, of a... Well, I think yeah. those are, lo- from what I understand, kind of loosely based on a true story, but... Yeah. But I, lo- I loved him in that, and he was... Uh, and it was the same thing, Quiet Menace, until, of course, when he completes his transformation, as he calls it, into what he really wants to become, the Red Dragon. Mm. A terrifying, terrifying character. And a good performance. And uh, also terrifying, like you said, as we segued into this, Tom Riddle. A.K.A. He will he who should not be named, A.K.A. Voldemort in the Harry Potter films. Oh, I mean, and that's just a complete physical departure from his like human form in general. Yeah. But yeah, and uh, I I wasn't you know, I wasn't completely sold on Voldemort. Well, look, what, as soon as I hear he's cast, you know, I know it's going to be good. But I was like, I guess he seems like a good bad guy. These are you know, I as someone who likes you know stuff like comic books and. And, and properties like that, I made the mistake of oversimplifying Harry Potter as children's books, mm-hmm. which I know they're not because they're beloved with so many things with children, you know? It's just as equally embraced by adults, if not more. We actually says here that um, when he was approached to play Voldemort, uh, he almost rejected it, and he says it was actually complete just out of ignorance for the, the books and the films, and he said that um, that he has a, his uncle to thank for the decision because uh, 
he had just fat. He had uh, nieces and nephews that uh, love the books and love the movies, and were like, "Please, please play Voldemort," and um, he went for it. So I wasn't sold on Voldemort as like a as an iconic uh, film villain until *The Goblet of Fire*, mm. where he just executes Cedric oh. Diggory, played by Robert Pattinson. Spoiler alert! Yeah, in the <laughs> for all the, tournament. For all the eight year olds that are we have listening. a ten, we have a ten year window here. If it's been long enough, we'll spoil Harry a movie. <laughs> For all our eight-year-old fans. Well, you know, I did uh, take He's a BuzzFeed dead. test, and I did test. I did test as a Slytherin, so that's a very Slytherin thing to oh do. Oh my God, me too. I'm always a Slytherin when I take the sorting of test. Of course Guys, you are. We I'm can't. Surprised. We can't miss any <laughs> facts right. here. My friend Lauren will destroy us if we yeah, miss any. Uh, but that, but that, that was. Knowledge. I found that to be. I had not read the book, so I watched the films, which I love. And um, that moment was just like kind of shocking. You know, that's when the stakes elevate into real. Would, that's no. I think that's when like Harry is like he's back, right? That's when right. that's when he announces that. And so my it's a really sad. It's a really sad, really shocking scene. My and littlest really nieces are on their nieces are on their like the beginning of their Harry Potter journey, and I have to check in with them every once in a while. I'm like, you don't think it's too scary, right? Because I'm like very worried it's gonna scar well, them they, they for take, watching yeah, the they, later movies because they get so dark. Are they reading or they're watching? They're watching the movies. A little bit of both. My yeah. my one niece is in third grade, so it's kind of on level as far as reading goes to start the earlier books for yeah. sure. But I I mean, Goblet of Fire is where they they make that turn that's my favorite film too starts to get dark after that and then you know you grow up you grow up with the characters in in a sense and when ray finds enters the picture it's no it's big boy time you're you're playing you know i'm an azkaban stan really Mm -hmm. yeah because that's a good serious the entry that's good serious black stuff yeah intro of serious black is where i'm at for sure yeah gary oldman i feel like has been a more 50 50 uh character actor with good and bad yeah i agree i agree yeah he's really that's someone we'll have to talk about down the line in more detail because uh, quite a career he's had, like really interesting, diverse parts. Chameleonic, I think, to an extent mm-hmm. where you're like, wait, that was Gary Oldman? Like, did that or like, well, I didn't even, I remember when he got cast as Dracula. True, true romance. I was like, what the I'm going to deep sigh that, that a little fun. bit because poor Gary Oldman suffered long and hard to get that Oscar, but yeah, but I'm like slap a prosthetic nose on somebody and they'll nominate you for an Oscar. Did he win an Oscar for Tinker like. Sailor Soldier Spy? Uh, I thought it was for the movie about um, uh, Churchill. Churchill, I believe it was. Which I well. didn't. I mean, he was good in that. Yeah, but he's well, he got been in, He's he got been it. better. In yeah. By the way, he got Sarah best Joey. supporting for True Romance. I also love. Dexter. I also love Azkaban because it introduces Remus Lupin. Yeah, see, out of the way. yeah, so many good characters. <laughs> is that the is he the Wolfman? Yeah, he's yeah. A, yep. See, these guys. He's a dark arts teacher. Come on, don't guys. you know? Don't you know we get a new dark arts teacher yeah. every year? What's his name? <laughs> David. David Thutis. There you go. So yeah. Ray Fiennes, a real son of a bitch in many many movies, but there's always exceptions to every rule, and like we've agreed unanimously, and I know this is especially the case for young Stevens here. Uh, there is a delightful film where he plays a really fun funny character and that is Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel Stevens this is your favorite movie um, one of your favorite films top three movie for me of all time probably seen it let's talk about M. Times. Gustav Mr. Gustav um, I mean he's just an eccentric perfect hotel concierge and um, I, I could go on I mean I'm gonna let you take the reins here because I just I, I don't want to fanboy on Rafe here 
Can I tell a quick personal story? Of yes. course. We love personal we love stories. So whenever this was nominated for Best Picture, my friend and I used to have an annual Oscar party at her house. And this year, we opted to do a cheese-themed Oscar party. And of course, <laughs> the dish was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh and that's it. <laughs> there were a lot of different... I can't remember all of them, but I can remember that one. <laughs> Chrissy, Chrissy, if you're out there in in uh, you <laughs> listening, know, listening land, I, you know it's okay. We used to, me and my buddies Chase and Tyler used to have Oscar parties every year, and cheese was always a strong theme. There was always brie, and uh, you know lots of and lots of different stuff. We should bring the Oscar party back. Yes, let's do one. Because I think the Oscars are about to get in- interesting again after a couple like years Jesus of obscurity, Christ. right? With the, some big some big hits being in play and some uh, some interesting performances and stuff like that. So I would come to your Grand Budapest party anytime. <laughs> Costumes, themed dishes, um, whatever. But Grand Budapest, I mean, if you're going to talk about the hospitality industry, we've seen one side of it in the menu from Ray Fines. You're seeing the opposite side of this in Mr. Gustav because Stevens, he is absolutely hell-bent on providing phenomenal above and beyond the best service to the guests yeah. of this hotel. It is great physicality <laughs> with him always. Even though. goes even goes as far as to uh, sleep with some of the elderly women that are guests at this hotel. Like all of them. Yeah. He's a bit of a gigolo. He's a bit of a gigolo. Oh. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very entertaining performance. It's a, a very Wes Anderson film. I mean, they all are, of course, but <laughs> this one is really like a madcap sort of a comedy. And so he's carrying that as the lead, and he's very funny. And extremely lovable. From the second you meet mm-hmm. Mr. Gustav, you're like, I'm rooting for this fucking guy. No matter where this goes, I'm rooting for this guy. I'm going to watch this movie now. I think I'm going to watch this movie later tonight. Right? I mean, we I, did, I think last year we did like a secret viewing in a large theater that we had access to. And we were all just like, you know, enthralled once again. I was like, this that movie. That was a good time. That I was never, a, this I never movie got don't to miss. watch my secret viewing of Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I have yet to see. Ugh. Did I give you that Blu-ray or is it still in my possession? I don't, but I don't have anything to play a Blu-ray on. Neither do I. They're all sitting at the fucking theater. <laughs> it's, I'm sure it's probably available to be streamed somehow. I could rent it for three nights. No, I think it's free on Disney+. Plus. It's worth a watch. I love the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Another movie we discussed last week. Food movies. Food movies. We had some food today. We warmed up with a very hearty brunch. Yeah, we mm-hmm. should give a shout out to where we ate. It was wonderful. A Jane Bistro and Bar. If you haven't ever been there, it was fantastic. Like, I mean, I think we would all agree. Zach, I don't know that you said, like, really, you exclaimed loudly that you loved what you had, but yeah, I, I think feel I like said, I think I said did. this is the fluffy, fluffiest oh, omelet yeah, I've did. ever, I've yes. ever eaten. <laughs> yeah, fl- yeah was- put that in your ad copy, Jane. Fluffiest omelets in town. Yeah, I love Jane. I just recently started dining there. I was missing out on the action for a while because I sort of held this opinion. It seemed like. That was the place where the ladies lunched and brunched and did not it want is. us. They don't it want still the, is. Yeah, but they don't want us around. They don't want the dudes around. Though. Dude, if the ladies like it, it means it's good. I know, but I would go by there and I'd see everyone laughing out on the porch and I'd feel, you know, the look at the opposite side of like the puppy in the window kind of thing. Like <laughs> I wanna I wanna be a part of this world, but I, I just managed to be able to to crack and get myself in there in the past couple of months and it's become a frequent spot for me. Today was my first time enjoying the brunch menu. And I recall it being brunch buffet, which was also good because I don't historically really love a buffet a lot of the time, but their brunch buffet was very good too. I had some toast prepared in the French fashion today (laughs) with a delightful (laughs) lemon creme fraiche and fruit syrup, not even necessary. 
That reminds me of um, Better Off Dead. <laughs> when she serves all the French food. And the so drink, the French foreign Peru. exchange. Peru. <laughs> 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 I, I thought about that movie on my way here, actually, to the island. Are you, do you have any idea of the street value of this mountain? <laughs> Gee, Ricky, I'm really sorry. Your mom's face blew up. <laughs> um, I quote that movie on a weekly basis. So I had slamming French toast, which I shared with my pals here. How about that French toast, guys? It was delightful. Oh and my it gosh, looked, I love anything with like a lemon curd or lemon sauce like that. And it looked good, too. And, you know, it's, it's uh, food and film, when presented in the correct fashion and with some know-how, is... Are really really memorable, and there's lots of and there's a lot of food moments. There's movies that are about food, and there are movies that have food moments. And we're going to talk about some of each of these. Um, what do we think is a what, what's a what is a quintessential food film, Sarah Joan? Well, the first thing that popped into my head, much to Matt's dismay, was the movie Hook, starring Robin Williams. Hook. Every every person between I would say thirty and forty. Probably has kind of a fond memory of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit too on the older side for Hook to be right right in the wheelhouse. Like, you have to be a kid because, one, if you've seen Hook, it's a very colorful feast that all of the lost boys can see, well, and the character Peter can't see any of it because um, it's all based on having an imagination to sure. see the food that's being served. To fill in some context for the listeners, Hook is a retelling of the Peter Pan story. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I just launched into it like everybody knew what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure most of you they nerds will. out there know what Hook is. But uh, yeah, retail, Steven Spielberg directed it. All-star cast. Who's in Hook? Oh, my gosh. Oh, shoot. Pull up the Facebook David, Messenger. David fucking Crosby. <laughs> David Crosby's in it, which I've totally forgotten about. As a pirate. Yeah. Robin Williams. I mean, Dustin Hoffman. That little pequeño friend they made into Captain Hook, which was hilarious. Glenn like, Close, a young one. Did he Paltrow? wear lifts? I just can't. Like, I like knowing how short he is now, and thinking about him such in a, that movie. Such a beloved film by so many of my right. friends, and I think one of the reasons maybe I, I'll get butthurt about Hook sometimes is that I was really uh, in that stage. I was starting. To, that was when I was starting to read like film magazines and stuff okay. like that around the time Hook was coming out, and I was really be looking forward to projects. Like I said, I think I was sixteen, seventeen when it came out. And I went to see it, and it was a really profoundly disappointing. Mm. So it was one of the first times I was like, oh, man, what a big like cinematic letdown. Look on paper, what, Dustin Hoffman's Captain Hook, Robin Williams' fucking Peter Pan, Julie Roberts' Tinkerbell. Plus some good supporting actors, too. Bob Hoskins is in there. Yes. But just those three, and Steven Spielberg's director, set expectations that I guess were unreachable for me. But there is an important feast in this film. Yeah, so as we kind of discussed, wait, Phil Collins is in it? Oh my gosh! <laughs> they had a bunch of the a bunch wow. of like so Glenn Glenn Close. I just interrupted myself. Glenn I don't Close even was know in that it. That was possible. The young Gwyneth Paltrow was uh was she Wendy? Yes, uh, yes she, she was. Yes. Uh, she was Wendy. Wendy so, darling, wow. So the the feast is a turning point in the movie because poor Peter has grown up. That's the whole premise yeah. of the movie is Peter Pan. What if he grew up and he becomes this like uber serious guy? even though he's Robin Williams and he just really has lost the magic. He's lost any sort of inner child that he once had. So he's at this feast with the lost boys when he gets transported to Neverland and the lost boys are all dining on this extremely colorful feast. And it just, I mean, it's basically like cool whip with food coloring, 
but <laughs> which it is like well, I looked I'm it sure, up on yeah, the way but here. I bet it looks awesome. Yeah. But it looks fantastic. When you're a child, you're like, this is amazing. I want to eat with these kids. They never grow up. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's just fantastic. And eventually, as it goes along, they start to have a food fight. And Peter finally, as he holds the spoon up to flick it at someone, sees the food. And this is a turning point in the movie because it equals Peter finding, finding his, yeah, his, yeah. his inner child. The again. doorway to childhood whimsy. I have a, a food fight. Of, like, What's I better have, than a food I fight? I have goosebumps she thinking does. about <laughs> it right now. She has hooked goosebumps. Yes. I mean, if that's not love, what is? You know? I think you just found your childhood whimsy once again. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't feel like I lost mine. But okay, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. I mean, and that's a that's a you know that's a good example of a good food scene from. Um, well, and from a, a regular film. And a callback to Harry Potter that we were talking about earlier. I mean, the feasts in that movie are Oh, insane. yes. And I think a lot of the conspiring amongst the kids and characters happens at the dining tables or dining halls, right. you know, and it's a big part of that movie. Which 100% makes sense because what what's more community building than sharing a meal with someone? Yeah, so, Nothing, much, what, yeah. so much happens over the table. Oh, like, it's, I mean, Zach's scrolling through a bunch here. Um I'll shout out Lady and the Tramp. Aww. Just came up. If you want to talk about that, like, <laughs> and I've made and I've scored lots of laughter points making Lady and the Tramp jokes <laughs> at Italian at Italian dates with girls. You know, yeah, like, he did it with a, with said, a oh, we're gonna Lady and the Tramp. Let's Lady and the Tramp it. Let's Lady and the Tramp it. You know, and I just really like fucking spaghetti and meatballs too. <laughs> That's my favorite. But um, so movies that aren't even necessarily about food can have some really memorable scenes, and the one that I think of or thought of immediately is uh, Goodfellas. From 1990, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, um, one of my favorite films. I think a lot of people's one of their favorite films. Um, probably Scorsese's best work, mob, uh, you know, a mob epic. But it is full of some tasty food stuff. Um, we see, you know, multiple gravies, you know, and a, a scene where the where the where the guys are served dinner by um, by Joe Pesci's mother, actually played by Scorsese's mother in the film. Just an on the fly, delicious little Italian feast. Um, they're making a, a legendary gravy for a big party towards the end of the film. That what's the key to what's the key to making sure the gravy is good? Stir the gravy, Michael. Yeah, tell Michael to stir the gravy. He says, "I'm tell, I'm stirring, I'm stirring." But sandwiched in between those two scenes is really the big, the big food scene in Goodfellas. It's the prison dinner scene where these guys sort of give an insight into what their life was like as mobsters, as made men inside prison walls, and it doesn't look like the worst hang ever. These guys are unloading boxes of prosciutto and garlic and the best olive oil, and they make a feast. They got some sausages cooking in the pan. Um, you know, they got the good tomatoes that they're making everything. But the key to the gravy in the dinner was the garlic, mm. which Paulie, the boss of all bosses, played by Paul Servino. Look at that R. image R. itself. I used so that many RIPs from Goodfellas. Paul Servino just a couple weeks ago, right? Um, yeah. He was more recent, but then Ray Liotta, of course, as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Paulie cuts the garlic cloves with a razor, making thin little discs of garlic, which liquefy in the pan, as Henry Hill, the nom- the uh, the narrator, puts it. And it's just uh, they have <laughs> these killer bottles of wine. Next thing you know, like all these gangsters that are in doing hard time are sitting down to the best Italian meal you've ever seen in your life. Man, I think Pomodori's closed tonight. Damn it. Yeah. And Henry Henry says in that scene, it's luxury. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is making me hungry. Now I want to watch Grand Budapest. I want to eat spaghetti and meatballs. And I want to slice up some garlic nice and thin. And there is bread at that meal. They got yes. some nice loaves. There's some nice loaves getting passed around. They just break a piece off and just pass it down the line, you know? Little prison bread. 
But I love I love that scene in Goodfellas. Uh, I love the movie overall. But I think when you ask a lot of people like about you know food scenes, that movie's going to come up. Oh, you absolutely. have a food movie that you want to talk about, Stevens. Um, yeah, I had a when we first threw up our discussion post earlier in the week, I had several people with laughing faces message me and say, "We've you got to talk about ratatouille." With, and Hell I was like, yeah. uh, and I was like, "Did you think I wasn't going to bring up ratatouille?" <laughs> I mean, it, it it goes without saying, ratatouille is. I mean, it's a feat in animation, but it's also just such a touching movie. And food is the, the tying you know ties the whole movie together. And and ego and chef from the menu are kind of one of the same. One's a critic, one's a chef, but both are broken. And uh, ego at the end of the movie when uh, Remy per- prepares a very poor man's dish um, of ratatouille, kind of brings him back to life, and um, it's it's beautiful. And um, but I actually had another movie someone reminded me of yesterday. And it brought back so many uh, little, just like childhood memories of seeing this DVD laying around, just like older uncles' houses or parents. Or do you guys remember the movie Waiting? Yeah, oh, yeah. yes. If we're talking oh my about, gosh, that server and if we're ta- the female <laughs> server in that movie is everyone. Speaking of performative, yeah, that's, some, that's yeah, a, but that's how, some spot on. That's some spot on. Um, yes. That's some spot on food and beverage satire in that movie too. Well, how yeah. many people had this DVD? I mean, I remember seeing. This picture, like crazy, him holding out the uh, the ribeye, <laughs> and mm-hmm. as far as food and bev goes, I mean, this movie is hilarious, and some of the, seeing some of that early stage Ron Ronald Reynolds uh, charisma coming through big time and before it got annoying. <laughs> yeah, where do we stand on Ryan Reynolds? I don't know. We need. To I'm I'm honestly really neither here nor there on him. Let's make a pros and he's, cons. List. He's not my favorite internet person although lots of people love how much he and blake lively roast each other yeah but um does he have range uh he hasn't really shown it yet as far as i'm concerned i saw one movie i think called it was called mississippi grind where he was a card player he can do comedy and action but he hasn't really done anything dramatic like worthwhile i guess to me he's good at he's good at at his, his strengths are strong yes so I guess if he doesn't want to take take risks. They say you know dance with the one that brought you. He hasn't made the Jim Carrey Robin Williams turn into being a dramatic actor. Yeah, and you know? and he's been doing this for a long time. But you know if he wants to keep being snarky, snarky and handsome and ripped, as long as he can do it, I guess he might as well do it. Sure. That'd be good for him. I'm glad you brought waiting up, Stevens. That's a good example, and I'm sure a lot of people. Yeah, my my buddy that. Matt Robbins mentioned it to me yesterday, and he was like, I was like, any food movies resonate with you? And he's like. Well, waiting makes me laugh my ass off. Yeah, that's in true. a restaurant, and I'm like, oh my god. Office space, also, you know, there's a set piece in a restaurant as well. At um, Chachkis. What's it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, because yeah. they have to wear shenanigans. Uh, a amount of shenanigans flair. is what it's called. I think shenanigans is Super Troopers. Is it? Yeah, that's the bar oh, they like man. to go to in Super Troopers. The Chachkis is the office space one, right? But Where things like to- office space and uh, these movies, like uh, the menu resonates. Because other people have been in that industry and they're like, whoa, holy shit, you know, this this pushes the buttons. Waiting is what happens. Like, you work with a bunch of, like, if you work at a restaurant, you work with servers and bartenders that are like, we should write a fucking screenplay about a restaurant. That's definitely waiting. Like, those people all worked at restaurants and put some time in and nailed it across the board, as Office Space did for people that were in office culture. You know, and Mike you, Judge had really obviously been through that. You can't forget um, <coughs> movies like where you kind of tip the scales between being really appealing food scenes that go into being really gross. Yeah, there is some grossness. Like Matilda from the 90s. They just released the new musical on Netflix, and it was a Broadway musical, and 
blah, blah, blah. But Matilda, again, I'm just showing my millennial left and right here <laughs> because of my choices. <laughs> that's, yeah, but the, no, that's fine. That's, you know, that's but where it happens. That's the when the house. kid and Matilda is caught taking a slice of the delicious looking chocolate cake and Miss Trunchbull makes him eat the entire cake. You go very Ugh. quickly between being like, that looks like an amazing chocolate cake to like, this is I never want to eat another chocolate cake. <laughs> sure. In my yeah. Life. The gross, grossly laborious, you know, right. Yeah. Slow feasting. How about the pie eating contest and stand by me? Ooh, oh yes! my God. How did <laughs> we forget <laughs> that? How did that we just popped into my head? Good fucking job. I was job, thinking about Monty Python, the meaning of life for this uh, sketch. Like Mr. Creosote, <laughs> this big guy just eats a, a giant meal of gluttonous, and it looks grosser and grosser the more it goes on. And then they offer him one oh. thin wafer, like perhaps a wafer, Mr. Creosote. And he eats it and he fucking explodes. <laughs> and it's oh. like, and it's very gross. But it got me to thinking about that piting scene, which is oh, better. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing up that scene yes. because that movie means the world to me. Well, Will Wheaton's and character is an aspiring storyteller. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's one of his stories that he re- they tell us. Well, and it, and it just it ties right into how he feels in his community as well. Mm-hmm. He feels slighted by his, you know, the way people treat him after his brother's death. It should have been you. You were the wrong kid mm-hmm. died yeah. kind of scenario. And he was a pariah. And lard ass. Lard ass. <laughs> yes. The, oh. the, the young man Poor in his story yeah. who has been made fun of for his weight and his lard ass. Uh, he gets back on all the people that have wronged him and slighted him in this pie eating contest. It's a beautiful scene. And this segment where they have to get it across and probably the lard ass story is probably five minutes of this film. And even in a matter of minutes, as he starts to tell the story, the, 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 the film switches over to a live version of the story as he narrates it. This poor kid is just given hell by the people of the town for nothing more than being like a fat kid. You Lord know what I mean? Ass, Lord. So he yeah. becomes so sympathetic <laughs> in such a short amount of time. And he does indeed down a whole bottle of castor oil, right. which I never saw, which I always saw in cartoons. Right. It was like, oh, we're going to, you know, put drink I castor oil. Remember. Tom and Jerry and that. Bugs Bunny. Because yeah. I was like, was it Ipecac or castor oil? Castor I can't oil. remember. Yeah, so like, it used to be like a cartoon prop. Yeah, it's castor oil. Because I remember, I remember asking my dad, what the fuck is castor oil? Yeah, like he starts to go ham eating pies in this contest. But the, like I'm no, feeling a little ill right now. Just <laughs> yeah, it's a diuretic. It's a diuretic. Well, the so. scene, the scene what's, what's crazy is the scene ends beautifully because it's a tying moment between River Phoenix's character Chris Chambers in that scene, and it's like you know, it's just that God, what a good fucking movie! Thank you for bringing that up, Maddie. We needed it. We needed a Stand by Me. I can't believe I, we've, I can't believe we've gotten like, three episodes in with no Stand by Me references. But that gets gnarly and gross, like that does, because I think it's like as uh, Mike Myers put it in Wayne's World, it sets off a peristaltic chain reaction of vomiting at the pie contest. So all these people that have been eating blueberry pies all regurgitate them in a very graphic and like exaggerated fashion. And I'd never seen anything like that really in a movie before when I saw that, but I do love that. I do love that film. That's a film about pals. Unrelated side note. And this is a podcast about pals. But someone who should have stayed in his lane as a villain, who's a great villain, but not someone you want to root for, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. (laughs) 100%. Such a prick, right? They keep trying to make him a leading man in TV series, and I'm like, no. No, I watched watched 24. I watched 24. I was thinking about Kiefer the other day because I I guess for some reason the Lost Boys popped into my mind, as it does probably once a week, every week, you know. There's always a Lost Boys reference for something, a movie that I intend to plumb into at some point. But um, yeah, Kiefer was Ace Merrill in that, a character created by Stephen King who knows a little bit about villains right for sure one of our favorite villains guys in film is ray fines and he is the star of the menu currently streaming on hbo max i highly recommend it for those of you that have been listening and commenting and giving us feedback 
Uh, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. We're seeing numbers better than we expected from the jump. If I can ask anything from you, it is if you enjoy what you're hearing. If you dig this podcast, please uh, rate it, please review it, and share it with your pals. And these are my pals, Zach Stevens and Zara Joey Clemens. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Good Pals Podcast. We will be back next Monday with a new juicy topic for y'all. Enjoy your week.